0: U+AI is pleased to present a podcast series on healthcare and AI. In this season the focus is on doctors. I meet doctors to get their on the ground perspective of healthcare, understand challenges and we explore together where artificial intelligence may provide the best outcomes for all. I am Ranga, creator and host of the U+AI podcast and the human face of U+AI in Twitter, SoundCloud, YouTube and Medium. I have a background in engineering and I've been a technologist in the networking domain for more than a decade, working on switches and routers, packets and buffers, wired and wireless. If you'd like to know more about me, go to LinkedIn and search for Ranga Prasad Sampath. I am passionate about artificial intelligence and this podcast is my effort to bring awareness on both sides. That is, for technologists like me to know the problems on the ground in healthcare, and for medical practitioners to know where AI may intervene to drive the best outcomes for all. Welcome, everyone. This is a bonus episode in the U+ Plus AI podcast, where AI is taking a backseat, and our discussion will be completely focused on humans, especially healthcare professionals who are at the front line in the battle with COVID 19. Today, we meet a doctor who is a clinical nephrologist practicing in Texas, USA. He went to Albany Medical College, completed his internal medicine residency at Tufts, and his nephrology fellowship at Johns Hopkins. In his spare time, he writes on Twitter, and his handle is the Real Doctor T. Please welcome Doctor Syed Tabatabai. Welcome, Doctor.
1: Hello, hi. It's uh,
0: good to be here. It was a real pleasure to read your tweets um, on your Twitter handle, the Real Doctor T, and that's how I found you. And I thought it would be great to you know, get in touch with you and talk to you a little about your experience these days and specifically the one that you wrote about in your Twitter thread. So thank you so much for coming to the show.
1: Sure, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So doctor, let's go a little beyond your bio. Tell us a bit more about yourself and how did you choose to become a doctor? Well, uh,
1: that's a simple question that the answer is a little more complicated <laughs> than, it, uh, than it might seem on the surface. Uh, like most things in life, I guess, a lot of um, becoming who we are is shaped by uh, people we look up to and people we admire, our mentors, and the people who came before us. And um, in my family, actually, neither of my parents are doctors. My, my mom is a teacher. My father is an engineer. But um, two of the people who had a huge impact on me when I was a child was one was my maternal grandfather, um, who is a, a physician. And uh, uh, he died when, he, when when I was actually quite young. But um, a lot of my most vivid memories are of him and um, the work he used to do. And then also uh, my uh, uh, aunts. And uh, I have a couple of aunts and uncles who are physicians and clinicians and really made a big impact on me. And when I was growing up, um, I loved uh, uh, creative arts and things like writing, um, things like uh, movies and screenplays and directing. And uh, for a time, my, my my heart was there. But then, you know, the older I got, I I fell back in in love with my first love, which was medicine. And uh, in school, I loved biology and sort of gravitated towards it and um, the the humanism of it. You know, the the interactions with people. And, um, uh, the stories within it, um, are, are really what drew me to it. And, and, that, that just further solidified the older I got.
0: Wow. And, um, uh, doctor, is that what about medicine that attracts you? I mean, you just said, you know, the humanism, the interactions with people, is right. that something your primary, what do you say, motivation to be a doctor, to be in medicine?
1: I think um it's hard to pin down one specific thing i think medicine offers a unique intersection uh an intersection between many different things and and of course one of those is interacting with people um and getting to meet a lot of different people and sharing in um their uh uh you know their hopes and their dreams and and medicine in a way sort of distills life down to its essence and you strip away a lot of the things and you're focused on really the core of, of what it means to be alive and to experience the great joys and the great suffering and pain and the whole spectrum of that experience. Plus there's also the intersection of science in medicine and, and being a scientist and researching in the intersection of um, technology and medicine. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can look at medicine, a lot of different lenses. And to me, it's that whole combination that that fascinates me. Of course I gravitate more a little bit towards what it means to be, you know, what it means to be a healer, what it means to um, have an impact on people um, and that opportunity to help people and help people in such a meaningful way. I think Um, it's not unique to medicine, but uh, it's one of the most attractive things for me. Medicine lets me um, be a part of people's lives and, and and help people in in ways that are unique and lasting. And uh, it's a privilege. It really is. It's a, it's, it's a privilege to be a part of this profession and, Um, to be able to have these opportunities.
0: Fantastic. So um, you talk about, you know, helping people, you know, and being in medicine during these times. Um, Tell us a little bit about how your typical day is these times when we show up to work and how long it is, because um, I know you're right now in Texas. I I guess you practice in Texas and we're just hearing in the news that, you know, the number of uh, cases of COVID nineteen patients who show up to hospitals is on the rise. So, how is your day typically?
1: Right. So, um, you know, one of the important things to remember, and and I will probably reiterate this a couple of times, is that in terms of um, uh, uh, COVID nineteen, I'm I'm a, I'm a nephrologist by training, so I'm a uh, kidney specialist. And you know, I'm not a, a lung doctor, a critical care doctor. So my experience with COVID-19 is is through the um, through the lens of a, um, a a consultant or a subspecialist. And so my daily experience is probably a little bit different from the uh, you know critical care doctors who are truly um, on the front line. And and I actually wrote about this. Probably the thread you read and were we're referring to was I wrote about a day that I had with a critical care doctor, and sort of me observing them firsthand and right there side by side and seeing what they do. And I wanted to convey that to people. So my day um, is usually pretty flexible. Normally, most days in a non-COVID world, I begin off uh, seeing patients in my uh, office clinic. And uh, uh, I'll see patients in clinic for about half my day, and then I'll go see a few patients you know, uh, in the hospital as. as Consultation requests and my follow-up patients in the hospital. I'll occasionally go to dialysis units. I'll occasionally go to nursing homes and 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 uh, re- rehab units and you know skilled nursing facilities, etc. But in the era of COVID, um, a lot of that has gone away now. Where really my focus is the hospital, and I don't really, you know, these days um, I don't really have that much clinic. And what clinic I do have is is all telemedicine. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't go to, uh, rehabs. I don't go to, you know, skilled nursing facilities. I, uh, have cut down my dialysis rounding a little bit. I have nurse practitioners helping me out and we do a lot of telemedicine, but really now the big chunk of my time is in the hospital because the Mm -hmm. hospitals are getting full. And, um, there's a lot of kidney disease that we're seeing in the, you know, critically ill patients. Uh, COVID brings with it some unique, um, kidney disease, uh, uh, diseases that we haven't seen before with things like influenza and stuff like that. There seems to be, um, a new spectrum. And like most things in COVID, our understanding is evolving, but really to answer your question in a long winded way, I guess my, my day really now is I wake up and, and go to the hospital and I work at the hospital until the work is done. And, um, it can be anywhere. You know, they're long days. I'm, I'm, not getting, <laughs> I'm not getting a lot of short, easy days these days. And I think that's true for, for most anyone who's in the hospital.
0: Sure. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned your Twitter thread. And, yes, uh, that's how I saw your work. And, you know, it, it just sort of uh, blew me away the, how you had portrayed the life of critical care doctor in these times. So your now wildly popular Twitter thread, you know, starts with a tweet. Know, that has a line that says, "A monster awaits." Right now, when when I read that, that line um, sounded to me like it could be like Stephen King writing, you know, Stephen <laughs> King of the horror genre, right? right? Or it could be right out of a famous Hollywood movie, like you know, maybe Predator or Godzilla, there <laughs> of these famous movies. So right. I was like, "Wow!" So I just wanted to ask you, like, what made you come up with that? What, what was uh, you, what, that... what were you thinking?
1: <laughs> it's that's an excellent question and actually I was thinking of a very specific image. Um there've been a lot of images associated with the battle against uh COVID-19 and the COVID-19 pandemic. There was one in on the internet that that circulated for a while. I don't know if you remember it. It was a and you know I feel bad because I can't remember who came up with it or who drew it, but it was of a nurse and um there is this gigantic monstrous face uh that mm-hmm. represents COVID-19. And it's towering over her, and it's screaming down at her in rage, and she's just standing there kind of bravely looking up at it um or a healthcare worker you know uh looking up at it and to me that in my mind um, sometimes it's easier when you're trying to get something across to people. there are a lot of different themes in the thread, and a lot of it mm-hmm. is about resilience and teamwork and hope. But a lot of it is about trying to convey just how scary it is uh, to be going up against something like that, this pathogen, which could be anywhere, you know, um, and has such devastating impact on people. And so you're right when you when you talk about Stephen King and horror, there really is a very real sense of horror um, with this with this virus. But it's different because in in real horror, uh, I mean, not real horror, I should say, uh, when you read. Uh, uh, these, these scary books and everything. Part of the fun is it is, uh, if it is, you know, you're safe, you know, you know, that there's, there's no consequence for you when you're reading it. It's scary, but you know, it just gets your pulse going and then you're like, wow, thank goodness. I'm not that person. <laughs> um, but the horror of COVID, um, for the workers who have to face it, um, and the patients who have it, um, is, is different because it's, it's, you can't just close the book or end the movie, you know? Um, so what I wanted to do with that line immediately was kind of seize the attention of the reader and hopefully give them a little bit of a jolt and a little bit of a chill because I was going to be talking about real monsters um, in the sense that the actual term, you know, if you read the thread, the actual term monster applies to different things through the thread. You know, obviously COVID-19 is the main one. And, um, you know, I, honestly the the truth is it's not really a quote-unquote monster it's a, it's a pathogen right it's a respiratory virus mm-hmm. but um there's also descriptions of people in the thread and then some of the readers have picked up is there's actually a tweet towards the end where i sort of raise the question of, of who exactly is a monster or what is a monster is it the virus okay yeah or the people who know the consequences of their actions and still choose to take them anyway, you know? So that was where the monster thread started from. Um, But there were a lot of inspirations for it. And yeah, a lot of it was traditional horror that I liked to read when I was uh, younger. I still like to read the idea that you're waking up and it's an everyday scene and then something terrible is lurking. So that's where that came from.
0: Yeah. And, and when you said earlier about, you know, um, that you were interested in the creative arts, like you know, you were interested in writing and even in filmmaking. Um, I think somewhere that kind of shines through. So uh, yeah, it, it was it was really great to read that line. And yes, it did joke me. It's like wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, you know. So it was it was definitely um, it, it grabbed your attention. So um, and and you go on further in that tweet uh, when you say that you know, yes, there's a monster and to fight it you write about armoring up, right? Which is, I guess, right. wearing all the protective equipment and all that. So walk us a little more through it. What constitutes armor? Like, you know, what all do you have to suit up to kind of face right. this monster?
1: Right. So the, the concept of armor up, um, yeah, it's a little problematic because we don't like to use uh, – there, there's a there's a lot of uh, writing out there now by, by several of my colleagues on Twitter and, and several – great minds that are out there talking about the dangers of sometimes using battlefield terminology when you're talking about medicine. You know, a lot of times we like to think of it as a battle and we like to think about it as we're soldiers. The truth is we're not, we're not really, you know, healthcare workers aren't soldiers. You know, it's not a, a perfect analogy. The armor up was a little bit of a problematic <laughs> phrase to mm-hmm. use, but one of the things about Twitter is um, you're very constrained, right? And the, the nature of the format, you, you don't have a lot of, Time, so you have to kind of choose your words quickly. So I needed a way mm-hmm. to quickly convey to people that you had to gear up and put on your your uh, your protective equipment that would shield you from this monster. And the best analogy I could come up with was armor. So uh, that's where that phrase came from. Um, but, uh, the, the experience of armoring up, it, it depends on, on, on your exposure. Now for the average person, obviously the recommendation is, you know, cloth masks, um, mm-hmm. and separation, and that is your armor in, in public, socially distancing, staying at home, wearing these cloth masks that prevent, uh, you know, respiratory particle droplet transmission and cut down on that. Uh, they're not perfect, but they, they've been shown to drastically reduce, uh, communication, um, in the hospital, it's different. In the hospital, when you're entering a uh, a um, uh, COVID unit, the very bare minimum is uh, wearing an N95 type particle respirator uh, mask, um, and then usually a surgical mask over that, and a face shield um, so that your eye, you know, your eyes are not exposed. And then in the in the thread, I talk about what uh, what's called a PAPR uh, unit, um, which is a um, full head covering uh, with a, uh, a motorized purifier. Then you have your gloves and you have your shoe covers and you wear scrubs that you take off there and mm-hmm. you know that you wash there and you have a head covering. And that pretty much kind of head to toe cons- constitutes the, uh, um, the armor. There are lots of different kinds of masks of people wear. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be that particular N95. There are other models, but the concept is the same. Is It's a high level um, uh, filtration. And that's base, the basics of, uh, of armoring up. And, and, of course, the rooms are, are sealed negative pressure rooms, so the air is kind of flowing inward. Um, the units are kept separate. Uh, the transport of the patients is done separately with you know, precautions. Um, it's a highly transmissible virus, so that we have to be extremely careful.
0: Right. And, um, you know, what I was curious about is, you, you know, when you wear this armor, how long do you have to wear this, like like throughout the day? Like what if you have to like take a break in between or you have to eat something? Or right. Maybe even use the bathroom. How does how does all that work when you're armored up? Right. So there's
1: this idea of, um, they call it donning and doffing, um, right? Is mm-hmm. So um, when you're in direct contact with a patient is when you're maximally protected. And then once you come out of there, you have to – I mean, as you're coming out of there, you have to what we call doff and and, and take off your equipment safely and then um, kind of scale down your, your armor. So you go from wearing that full protective covering, which with all the possible protection, to when you go to a place that's a non-COVID designated area to get lunch or to take a break or whatever, at that point you're not wearing – all those layers anymore. Usually most people are just wearing uh, a mask or n 95 and a surgical mask and mm-hmm. not wearing, you know, uh, all the other accessories that come with it. Um, and, uh, it is tiring. I mean, those, those masks are tough to, uh, I'm not talking it's, it's very important. It has to be clear with the language. Um, cause there's a lot of anti-mask propaganda out there, but, um, when I'm talking about it's very tough and tiring to be wearing a mask. I'm talking about the both masks, the N95 and the surgical mask on top together, uh, wearing that throughout the course of the day. Um, There has to be a tight seal with your face. So eventually, I'm sure you've seen those photographs. You you start to develop little sores. Um, People will put these little um, strips across their nose to lessen that. But the mask does push in pretty tight. So it is... Um, you know, it is tough to wear, um, over time and it's very warm. That whole setup is very warm. Um, and it's, you know, be honest, it's not a comfortable setup, but, uh, it it serves its purpose and, and, you know, you're grateful for it when you have it.
0: You know, we see even photos where, you know, healthcare professionals, they have scars, um, on their bones and all that, because I guess the mask is pressing against your face and over time kind of have these scars, um, right. Mm-hmm. So um, let me ask you, uh, like, you know, you talk about, you know, I guess your uh, your friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Jennifer Brody, who was the intensivist right. that you referred to uh, in the tweet. That, uh, well, later you had a tweet where you said there's a real person, Dr. Jennifer right. Brody. And, um, and when I read that tweet, it just seemed like, you know, there was patient after patient who was going into critical care and, you know, the nurse called the doctor to help with the intubation. And it almost gave a sense of like, you know, this is an ongoing thing throughout the day. So could you sort of uh, give us a feel of, um, you know, is this something that somebody who's an intensivist, whose, you know, work is in the ICU is, you know, is used to, or are these times different where you're seeing more and more people get to that level? of critical
1: care? Yeah, I think um, that's a great question. I, I think that, uh, and you know, you should definitely have Dr. Brody on your show sometime. I can <laughs> I can give you her information. That would be there. great. Um, you know, the thing is uh, intensivists are some of the m- most highly trained, highly skilled physicians that I know. I, I, I'm i friends with a lot of intensivists. I look up to them, They're they're fantastic clinicians. And their skill set is unbelievable. I mean, they're calm under pressure. But there was something unique about this particular day that I wrote about. And um, uh, even within COVID, um, the COVID nineteen pandemic, this particular day I wrote about felt more um, chaotic or more overwhelming um, than than most days. I mean, it stuck out to the point where when I wrote that thread. Um, a lot of people who had been part of that day or who had been in the ICUs that day immediately knew what day I was talking about, mm-hmm. and they said, "I'm glad you you know you wrote about that, so people have some idea what it felt like." Or I remember what that day was like, and a lot of their messages were gratitude that they had leaders like uh, you know Dr. Brody and the ICU uh, uh, care team and the nurses and the respiratory therapists. So for the for the critical care docs, you know, it was well uh, for Dr. Brody. She's a fantastic clinician. She's so so uh, measured and kind and calm and very skilled. But um, even for her, I think it wasn't that it was too much, but I think um, it stretched her pretty thin. You know, there's only one of her, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when you have so many sick patients, it's almost like you have an avalanche and uh, you have, you know, your tool is you have one little shovel, right? And then you have this avalanche coming in. So, I think for her, that was sort of the the trouble. It wasn't that she didn't have support. She did have backup and support. But um, these patients deteriorate so rapidly, um, and they can get so very sick that uh, even when you have all the support in the world, it can feel like you're fighting a very lonely battle. And that's kind of what I wanted to to show a little bit um, in in that thread, um, was that uh, she had little moments here and there where she was catching her breath, but almost immediately it was like getting – pulled back into it.
0: Right. It definitely did feel like that, that, you know, the, like the moments that she got her respite were, were very few. And right. uh, even when she was eating, you know, you know, she was being called into the ICU to uh, right. handle another patient. And that just seemed like, you know, um, like if you had to suit up and be in your different stages of armor that often, and you have to right. be at the front line so often, I just imagined, uh, you know, what kind of day would it be for um, Dr. Brody and others? And and, and, uh, it was so good that you were there and you were able to sort of um, give your readers a sense of what it is like.
1: Right. And uh, I think that was, that was crucially important because one of the problems um, that naturally happens when you have people uh, who are getting sick with COVID is that it's sort of, the, the fight is sort of distanced from everyday life, you know, that what's happening in the COVID unit, even people in the hospital, I had nurses in the hospital and people tell me, you know, I'm glad you wrote that thread because I didn't know what was going on in, in that unit um, because it's so sealed and so closed. I mean, we, we've all seen the news reports, right? We all yeah, saw yeah. what happened in Bergamo. We all saw what happened in New York and we all kind of see these reports, but seeing something like in a five, 10 minute snippet on the news versus when you read about something um, it's a little bit different kind of level of engagement. And it's a little bit, you know, you can always change the channel on the news and you can, it's a kind of, it it can kind of pass over you a little bit superficially. Whereas I feel when you read one person's story, I, I think it's a little more involving and you start to, uh, you know, I think human beings have a natural empathy. And when you, when I tell you about this character who's fighting this battle for you and, uh, for, for society and, you know, she's tired, but she, she does her best. And, uh, you know, and then describe towards the end about how people through their own decisions are putting others at risk. And, uh, you know, the, the concept of people risking other people's lives. Um, I, I think that, the, that that was the purpose of the thread was to take the reader on a journey to a place they wouldn't normally see, and to show them what the stakes were, because we all know what the stakes are. But the truth is, we don't, right? If I tell you 128,000 people are dead, that number has no meaning anymore because, you know, I personally can't, if you, you know, a hundred people are dead. If I stop and start to think about that number, it's mind blowing. A thousand people are dead. 10,000 people, a hundred thousand people. I can't even conceive it. So you have to find some other way to reach people because they're numb to the numbers, you know, the statistics. Right. Um, I heard somewhere, you know, the total number of cases in Wuhan was like 50,000. And, uh, they closed down the city and they, you know, we remember watching those trucks, those military trucks, and they built hospitals and everything. And now in the U S we're averaging about a Wuhan a day in terms of numbers, 50,000 cases a day. Um, it's mind blowing. And, you know, I, I, I felt like I didn't want people to become, uh, numb to why that mask is so important and numb to why distancing is so important, especially in America. We had just had our, uh, you know, Memorial Day and how crowded it was. And, uh, right. you know, there was a lot of things going on, um, where, uh, you know, the monster is always prowling and he doesn't, it doesn't take a break, you know? So that's kind of what I wanted to do with my thread is, is show the stakes and, uh, uh, kind of show people what was really happening.
0: Yeah. I noticed that when you, when you wrote that, when you were going back home, you, um, talk about a restaurant that you passed by and uh, that, you know, people are hardly wearing any masks right right and um, and one of the, you know lines that really hit me hard uh, to your point is when you say the risks that some have to take because of the simple steps that others wouldn't
1: right right and you know it i was very deeply moved um, when i saw the the team in there intubating that patient and The reason it moved me so deeply was in that moment, um, I knew kind of the risks that were involved of stepping in that room. And I knew each one of those people personally. And I knew that the intensivist, you know, I don't call her by her name in the story. I don't call anyone by their name. Um, they're called by their roles, but the intensivist, um, I, I knew who she was. Um, I knew that she had kids. I, I knew that she, her son had recently graduated I knew that she loved star Wars. I knew about all the things that we had talked about. So in that moment, those people were very, um, real to me and very precious to me. And, um, I felt, you know, the, all, all the, the, the people who are protesting against mass and the people who weren't wearing masks or distancing, um, it really, uh, the stakes of that decision not to wear a mask were really hitting me hard at that moment. And I think that, uh, you know, um, I wanted to kind of show the scales a little bit in terms of what was at risk. And uh, you know it's not a big ask to wear a mask. Now understand that for some people it may not be possible for whatever reason, there, there are very few reasons, but let's say there's a reason medically it may not be possible for the vast majority of people to wear a, a you know, a cloth mask or something when they're out is not a big ask to do. It's it's not a, a major sacrifice. And um, it, you know, somebody once told me that uh, if the mask would, if we could guarantee that the mask would save your life, not somebody else's, would, mm-hmm. you, would the compliance be better? <laughs> you know, instead of telling people that this is protecting other people, I don't know. You know, I, I'm an optimist by nature. I like to think that ultimately we all wanna help each other, but I was definitely disheartened um, it is disheartening when you see people not willing to take one simple step. So that's where that line came from that you liked. Um, this idea that uh, it's not much to ask for a small step that uh, could help people from having to go into this situation, um, people with lives and people who with loved ones. And besides people having to go into that situation, helping people from actually getting the virus in the first place, you know, getting sick with it. Um, it's a terrible illness. And I think our understanding is still evolving.
0: It's very interesting because what COVID-19 in, in is very unique because it's teaching us as a community that it's not just about me, like, like you said, you know, wearing right. a mask is not just about protecting me, but it's protecting my fellow human. So in some sense, it's, it's driving home the message of what it is to be part of a community, what it is to be part of a family or a society, that, that somewhere we need to think about the person next to me rather than the focus being completely on myself.
1: Right. You said it beautifully. I, I 100% agree with you. And, uh, you know, we, we very strongly uh, in America, we're, we're very strongly proud, um, and rightfully so, of our, our freedoms, you know, but freedoms... Aren't, don't exist in a vacuum. They're not without responsibilities too. And I think that's um, maybe that's sort of our uh, one of our vulnerabilities right now as a society. But you're absolutely right. I, I totally
0: agree with what you said. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you talked about um, the intensivist uh, who has a family, who the a son, who graduated. Um, you know, given that all of you, especially the intensivists and the, and the nurses, they, operate in such proximity uh, to this monster. What is the protocol that they take to keep, you know, your own family safe, like the healthcare worker, the nurse, the doctor, how do you, I mean, you're spending so much time in close proximity. What what does that do to your family interactions or your time with family?
1: Well, different people do different things. I can't speak to everybody. You know, I'm lucky because I'm by myself in an apartment, so I don't have to worry about, you know, uh, all all these family members that I might be exposing. But, you know, if people are living with, you know, elderly parents or um, uh, kids or people who are immunosuppressed, uh, it it can be challenging. And and I know some docs have, uh, you know, again, I can't speak to everybody, but uh, some people I know have actually uh, rented Uh, hotel rooms and uh, or move to other places uh, for the duration of the pandemic or some people have kind of quarantined in their own house they uh, Mm -hmm. when they come home before they interact with everyone they have this kind of detox procedure they go through where they all shower and they'll scrub and you know all this kind of stuff and then in the hospitals there's also people will kind of detox there throw away their scrubs uh, for you know for cleaning and kind of shower and change their clothes there and then do it again at home so people are taking different levels of precautions and different things, but it's always a worry in the back of your mind. I'm sure if you're, you know, the last thing you want to do is uh, be the vector to infect somebody you love. Um, So that's a, that's a good question.
0: I see reports every day on the news across the world that, you know, despite all of these things that you're saying about armoring up about PPE, Mm -hmm. there are a large number of healthcare professionals who have lost their lives on the front line with this monster. So though we talk about, you know, um, you know, these procedures that you talk about donning different grades of armor and then Mm -hmm. doffing and then taking all these precautions, still, we know, like, you know, maybe there are cases where, uh, you know, there are even, even doing all that, the monster gets right to those people who are on the front line. And that, that was really, that's something that again, you know, I was not able to get my heads around it. But it's, it's truly, uh, you know, distressing to see so many healthcare professionals lose their lives in the front line. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're aware of it. You know, you, I mean, we all know at this point um, people who are in cities that have been heavily affected by COVID. We all know healthcare professionals. I personally know several who have gotten uh, sick with this and, you know, we are in unique proximity to these patients a lot of the times, um, in situations that we call aerosolizing procedures where, you know, you're at extra risk cause you're, you know, that there's, uh, particles with the virus being released and, um, it's just so easy to get there's, uh, you know, you're careful, 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 and one little lapse or one other person not being careful is enough to put you at risk, um, so, yeah, it does weigh heavily. And uh, I think it's a terrible toll. I think, uh, you know, far, far, far too many people, uh, healthcare workers and non-healthcare non-health, workers uh, have died and will die from this. And it's it's devastating. It really is. I, I Again, I go back to the numbers. I, I think we don't know and or we can't know i I don't think human beings can can conceive of what that means uh naturally you know you have to really sit down and think about it and it's kind of overwhelming to think about loss in that degree and i've tried in my writing you know I've i've read i've written threads about loss um actually wrote several several about covid and loss and it's still something that i can't wrap my brain around you know um and maybe I don't want to, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe just for now, it's, it's a blessing to be ignorant and be numb to that, but it's uh it's really devastating. And, um, you're right. You know, I many of my colleagues have, have, have succumbed to this and I wonder about that sometimes. Um, you know, uh, now I think a lot of medical professionals on the front lines have, uh, I was talking to a couple of people about this, every little symptom we get now, we kind of wonder, is this it, you know, um, mm you know, am I am I spiking a fever right now? You know, am I, uh, is, do I still have my sense of smell and taste? And, you know, every little sign is, is a precursor to COVID. So I think people are, are worried.
0: Right. And um, in fact, your point about, uh, you know, whether we can understand numbers, uh, I've seen, you know, people and including myself that, even if you're in a room for, let's say you're in a conference and you ask somebody to estimate the number of people, I don't think we're that good at it to understand. So if you say, oh, what does 10,000 people look like? Or what does right. 1,000 people look like? Best answer I can give you, yeah, that's a lot. But then right. I don't think I can wrap my head around what exactly it is. right? right. So so yes, very true what you said. Right.
1: And one of the people on Twitter who, who commented on one of my threads, he said something very interesting. He said he thinks of numbers in terms of populations. Of cities. So, Mm -hmm. you know, 100,000 people is a, you know, such and such city. And that sort of helps a little bit. But tied into that issue with numbers is another kind of unique weakness in our ability to conceive of numerical concepts, the idea of exponential growth. This idea that if you start off with something at a certain percentage of growth, in two weeks, how much is there going to be? And people are guessing, well, maybe 500 or 1000. And the answer is 12 million. We're not Mm. used to that idea of things accelerating so rapidly. It's a more, you know, I know this podcast about AI. It's a more kind of machine-like concept, the idea Mm. of growth on that scale, because most people don't experience that. Um, I mean, maybe bankers and accountants with compound interest, they can understand that a little better because they deal with that. But um, that if you really understand exponential growth and you understand the what the stakes are in terms of death and human loss and, and, and so on. Um, you get worried much earlier because you realize once that curve is gone, once that curve is shooting up, you are not just a little behind. In the exponential growth world, you're far behind where you want to be, you know? And, and I think we have a unique weakness there too, because we see the graph going up. And we're like, okay, that's, that's not good, but yeah. you know, maybe if we take these steps, and the other thing with covid is our data is always lagging because of the two week period the incubation period so we're uniquely set up to be too late and i think that's something that's popped up repeatedly is repeatedly we're we're too late we're we're doing things too late and so i think that uh, you make a great point about numbers we're just i think that's a weakness we have and maybe ai would be a better way to uh give us a red alert that you know a small blip that we see in the graph is really you know, projecting a, a, a large danger. Yeah. So, um,
0: Dr. Tabatabai, I'd, I'd like to ask you this uh, You know, towards the end. Do you believe that we have, as a people, you know, the ability to get over this monster? Yes. Absolutely.
1: Um, I think that... Uh, you know, I answered your question very quickly because if, if you ask me if I believe in people in any capacity, my answer is going to be yes, <laughs> in a positive way. <laughs> um, I'm an optimist at heart. I'm a humanist. I, I believe in people and I believe in our potential and I believe in the good we can accomplish. and I believe in caring for each other. And this virus does pose a unique challenge that we haven't, a lot of us haven't seen in our, in our lifetime. Now, that doesn't mean it hasn't come before. I mean, there are people who dealt with HIV, AIDS, uh, when that was exploding. There are people who've seen Ebola up close and personal. Um, you know, there are people who've dealt with all these outbreaks. But I think that um, as, we, as we progress, there are already clinical trials happening of, of vaccines. There are already interventions that we put in place that have already reduced mortality in the, uh, in the ICU setting. Um, we're all, you know, one of the great things about the internet and our connectivity is how people all over the world have been able to to connect to each other very quickly to share experiences, to share data and to kind of figure out ways to combat this. So um, I'm an optimist, you know, I, I, I don't think it's going to go away like a, a magic, uh, you know, a magic pill or a magic bullet is going to make this thing disappear forever. And then we're done and it's back to life the way it was. I think this is a new reality. And um, you know, I do think it, it will get better. But I also think that um, there will be another COVID at some point, you know, the nature of viruses and the nature of these cyclical kind of, uh, you know, we were, we were overdue for one, frankly, you know, there were a lot of people who predicted you've seen that, that the Ted talks and, you know, the uh, Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of people who predicted that we would be here years ago. So I think it will get better. I think it'll happen again. Uh, You know, it won't be COVID. It'll be something else or, or, and I think we'll get better as society, at, as a society, at dealing with this. Hopefully, I'm hopeful. And um, I know it's easy to despair and and lose hope, especially if you've lost a loved one. Um, you know, I, th- there are many people who are grieving and have paid the ultimate price for this. And I don't mean to diminish what they've gone through at all. You know, but um, I do think uh, it'll get better. I really do, and I, I, I fervently believe that.
0: Well, that's, um, that's great to hear. And I think we as a people, the way we can help, I think you talked about it, you know, like wearing a mask, social distancing, washing your hands. And I guess, you know, be a little, contribute a little less in risking other people's lives. Right. Exactly. That's
1: perfect. That's a perfect summation. Um, I think, um, you know, let's, let's, get a little bit more of that collective sense of society you know um i, I know you're in you're in india right uh is, is where you're yes you're coming. that's correct um i i i don't quite know how it is there in terms of the the political climate but i can tell you in america it's it's very very extremely divided you know and uh um a lot of people are staking their identity and who they are <laughs> you know in terms of what your party affiliation is and politicizing it and i think that has been one of the deadly things about this viral pandemic is certain things really can't be politicized. Um, there are certain facts that don't care. You know, I know the virus doesn't care (laughs) which party you voted for. Um, if we can sort of come together as society, as a society, a little bit, and, um, you know, uh, you mentioned caring for each other. I think uh, that's a big theme that I write about and believe in is empathy. um, I think uh, uh, you know empathy is is really a, a driver for a lot of the things that will get us through this pandemic. And uh, I think my my great hope is that uh, we kind of rediscover our empathy a little bit, not just for the people who voted for the same person we did, um, but for all of us together. And uh, and uh, you know I think that's that's a way forward.
0: That's beautifully put, uh, Doctor. I'd like to end with a couple of messages from your readers on your tweets, which really again, you know, reinforced your message and you know came out quite quite well. So one was from Dr. Eric Last from USA, and he said in his tweet, Thank you for bearing witness, for giving testimony, and for being there. And another was from Becky Hickman from New Zealand, and she says, Be brave, be strong be steadfast. So pleasure. Dr. Tabitha bai, it's been an absolute honor and pleasure to host you on the U AI podcast. Good luck and Godspeed.
1: Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate this opportunity and uh, I appreciate what you're doing here and stay safe. And I hope you and your loved ones stay safe and, and we'll get through this together.
0: Thank you so much, sir. Thank you folks for listening in. Do give this podcast the best rating you can in your favorite podcast app. Do connect with me, Ranga Prasad Sampath on LinkedIn and follow my online handle, U AI on Twitter, SoundCloud, YouTube and Medium. I'll see you soon with the next episode. Enjoy.